want to talk with you guys today about what you do when you feel like your life is falling apart. Where do you turn when you find yourself in a storm? I was telling you guys a few weeks ago about Louis Zamperini. He was the guy who ran in the 1936 Olympics when he was only 19 years old. And uh, Adolf Hitler saw him run and and afterwards wanted to meet him because uh, this young man just had such a spirit about him. And soon after that, he got drafted into World War II. And uh, Louis's story is written in an incredible book called Unbroken. And uh, Louis got this incredible survival story somewhere uh, in 19. 42, the B-24 that he was flying in got shot down over the Pacific Ocean, and Louis and uh, two of his crew from that B-24 bomber, they were lost at sea, and they actually survived on sea for 47 days, and that's when they got picked up by the Japanese Navy, and Louis would go through a number of labor camps before the end of World War II. One of the incredible things in the story of Louis Zamperini is his mother, Luis. You see, after Louis had been lost at sea, uh, at that time, these B-24 bombers, so many of them were going down. In fact, tens of thousands of American servicemen who died from B-24s just crashing out in the middle of the ocean, that after a certain amount of time, the War Department would declare the, the people who were on the plane that crashed, they would declare them dead because, you know, you can only survive for so long at sea. So somewhere about a year after Louis had gone missing, his family received correspondence from the War Department that said, uh, Mrs. Luis Zamperini, we're so sorry to inform you that your son has perished. He lost his life serving his country. And one of the incredible things about Louis's story is the hope of a mother, the hope of a mother. When everyone else had given up hope, Louis's mom kept believing, she kept hoping she would not accept that her son might be dead, and she kept hoping. In fact, she was a strong believer in Christ, and every day she'd go to a little church where she would pray for her son. Often on the way back, she'd stop at the high school there in town where Louis had run on the track and broken all the state track records, and she'd park under a tree and she would just cry there. She'd cry there until she could kind of get herself together, and then she'd go home to her husband and her other children because she had this hope, this hope that her son was going to make it. In fact, incredibly, as the months rolled on, uh, Luis Zamperini developed this rash on her hands. And shortly after Louis returned home at the end of the war, after being a prisoner of war in these, in these terrible prison conditions, shortly after he returned home, that rash on her hands went away. It's just like this physical picture of how much this mom loved her son and how she just clung to hope when things seemed hopeless. I don't know if you had a mom or have a mom who hopes that way for you. A mom who just, no matter what, she thinks you're a superstar. She thinks you can never make a mistake. And she hopes in you no matter what. This morning, whether you have a mom like that or not, we're going to see that you have a heavenly father who has great hopes for you. 
And just as a good mom sees the potential of a child, even when they don't see their own potential, even when no one else sees their potential, in the same way God sees your potential, even when you don't see it. I don't know what impossible or hopeless thing you might be facing today, but I know that God is eager to give you hope, meaningful hope, true hope. Here's how I define hope from Scripture. Hope is confidence that I will prevail. That doesn't mean every one of my wishes, okay? But hope is a confidence that I will prevail. Why? Because my God will prevail. Because through Christ, I have faith in God, and I know how the story ends. I know that at the end of time, uh, Christ is going to return. He's going to judge the nations. He's going to set up a new kingdom and a new heaven. And, And he is my hope. And as long as my hope is placed in him, I know that no matter what I go through in this life, I will prevail because my God's going to prevail, even if it looks impossible, and even when it is not immediate. Even when it looks impossible, even when it's not immediate. For some of you in here today, maybe your hopeless situation is that you long to be a mother. And for you, Mother's Day is is just a a painful day. Well, two of the three moms that we're going to look at today in God's Word, they can relate to you about that pain. Others of you in here, your hopelessness is not so much something you're longing for as something that you're longing to get out of. And that's the life that we're going to see in the third mom that we look at today, a life of present difficulty. Hope is confidence that you will prevail because God will prevail no matter what and no matter how long it takes. found that definition in Hebrews 11 verse 1 where God tells us this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance About what we do not see, this is what the ancients were commended for. In other words, the great people of faith in history, they weren't people who, you know, they believed and then the next day life was perfect and everything went great for them. The reason they're such heroes of faith is that they continued to believe when they couldn't see evidence that God was at work. When they couldn't see that he was in control, they continued to believe. For some, it took 90 years. For others, it wasn't until they were called home to heaven that they really saw the full realization of their hope, but they held on to that hope. Their unshakable confidence that God is going to work, that God's plan is good. Something you can jot on your outline if you're taking notes. When you have a situation where you need hope, when you have something in your life that, that you go to God about, if you bring it to God in faith, you can be confident. You can be confident about God, how God's going to answer that prayer. When you come to him and say, God, I, I pray that you would deliver me from this pain of this sickness that I have. God, I pray for this wayward child that I have. God, I, I, I pray um, for, for this pain or this uncertainty in my life, this situation that's out of my control. I pray for my feelings that are out of my control and, and have me feeling so low some days. When you bring a situation like that to God in faith, you can be confident of two things. Here's the first one. He will 
deliver you. Your God will deliver you. He is a deliverer. And here's the second thing that you can be confident about. He will sustain you until he delivers you. Because, you know, the way we'd like it as humans and as Americans is, okay, God's going to deliver me? Great. I'll go to him about my problems. I'll go to him when I need hope. And the next day I'm going to wake up and everything's going to be perfect, right? Well, unfortunately, that's, that's not the way that it works. But here's what is fortunate. He will deliver you. The day is coming when Christ is raised up as King of kings and Lord of lords, when all the nations gather around him and worship him. And for all of us who've trusted in him, we'll be delivered from all the pains of this life, all the troubles of this life. And until then, you can take great confidence in this promise, this reality that he will sustain you until your deliverance is fully completed. I was thinking about this the other night while I was brushing my teeth. I was thinking about our impatience with God. Our impatience with God. And what I mean is this. We understand that if you want to get on a flight down at Sky Harbor and fly to New York or to L.A., you have to wait. You have to wait at the security line, and then you have to wait at the gate, And then you get your seat on the plane and you have to wait for it to taxi. Then you have to wait while the plane's in air. And then it lands, right? And everyone does that thing where they unbuckle and they all stand up. And you wait for another 15 minutes, right? We understand that, that most things in life just require a wait. We wait at the restaurant after we order our food. We wait sometimes. You know, some people sign their kids up for a really prestigious school and there's a wait We wait when we get an oil change on our car. We wait for all sorts of things. But when it comes to God and the eternal deliverance of our souls, many of us have this attitude of, well, if I have to wait, it must not be real. And it's really ironic because if we just be consistent with ourselves with the rest of life, normally the longer the wait is, the better the thing is, right? I remember a couple times when I was in New York City doing some work with journalism, every time I was there, I would call this number and wait to get tickets to the David Letterman show. And then when I'd get there, I'd have to wait in line, right? Because there's all these other tourists who are there waiting to get into the David Letterman show. And it's almost like in real life, the longer the wait is, usually the more legitimate the thing is. And yet when it comes to God and he says, I will deliver you if you trust in me and I will sustain you every minute that you're waiting for my deliverance, our our sin nature creeps in and tempts us to say, oh, you can't trust him. Satan comes to us like he came to Eve and said, he doesn't really have your best in mind. You don't need to, you shouldn't trust him. You should take things into your own hands. So we get out of line. We stop waiting. And we take things into our own hands. See, we're talking about hope. What you hope in. What you hope in is is what you think has the strength to deliver you, to sustain you. Maybe you're hoping in a promotion. Hoping in a raise. Hoping to get the house. Hoping to get the girl. Hoping to have a baby. 
We hope in what we think will fulfill us, deliver us, sustain us. What we think is worthy of our hope. And you could almost say that we worship the things that we hope in. See, we all put our hope in something, but only I can choose what I put my hope in. We all put our hope in something. Even if you're here and you think, I don't hope in anything. Well, when you sat down, you were hoping that chair was going to hold you, right? When you, when you go out and put your key in your car, you're, you're hoping it's going to turn on. There's this idea all throughout Scripture that you, nobody else in your life, only you can decide, here's what I'm going to put my hope in. Here's where I'm going to set my hope. And Jesus talks about this. He says, you know, a lot of people, they set their hope on shifting sands. It's like they lay the foundation for their house on, you know, the sandy beaches of Coronado out in San Diego. They, they, they build their hope on these shifting sands. And Jesus says, don't do that. Come to me because I, I'm a rock. And if you build your life on me, then when you get old and your body breaks down, your hope doesn't have to break down. When you get to a place where you can't sustain your career because you just don't have the energy you used to have, your hope doesn't break down because it's built in me. If your kids turn away from you, if your kids hurt you, if they move out of your house, you're going to be okay because your hope wasn't built on your children. It was built on me. So the question for each of us today is, what am I putting my hope in? Psalm 42.11 puts it this way. The psalmist is, is downcast, is, is depressed. So why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And speaking to himself, as he's reading scripture, he says, put your hope in God. Self, put your hope in God. Self, stop trusting, stop hoping in the circumstances and move that hope and put it in God. 1 Peter 1, verse 13 puts it this way, set your hope. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, it's, it's just like when you set, you've got some heavy thing and there's a flimsy table and you think, oh, I can't set it on that. I gotta, you know, I gotta set this on something that can hold its weight. Have you set your hope, the weight of your life on something that can hold it? On the hope of Christ. That he is going to return. When both these verses of scripture were told that we have a capacity to put our hope where we choose. I think when you look at someone's life from the outside, there's probably some ways that you can indicate what have they placed their hope in. Usually what people talk about will kind of reveal what they've put their hope in. If you looked at any of our checking accounts, you'd kind of know what we put our hope in. Yeah, I wonder if someone took an objective look at your life, what would they say you've put your hope in, built your hope on, placed it upon? Where have you planted your hope? Well, we're going to look really quickly in God's Word. And we're going to see three times when you can plant your hope, you can place your hope in God. Three godly mothers who model this for us, what a strong hope looks like. And the first is Sarah, who became the mother of nations. Sarah's life shows that I can plant my hope in God 
when I have a hopeless past. I can place my hope in God when I have got a hopeless past. Sarah's story appears in the book of Genesis, and God's word tells us that she was a beautiful woman. It tells us that she married a man of strong faith in God. And unfortunately, she lived uh, at a time and in a culture where a woman's value was largely dependent on whether or not she could produce a son. That's not right, but that's the way it was in those days. And Sarah soon learned that she was infertile, that she wouldn't be able to give that child to her loving husband to be able to find that credibility in that culture. This would be kind of the equivalent of you and your life having a lifelong dream that you work for and you strive for and you get right up to the edge of it and you realize you can't take the last step. It's not going to happen. I know some of you can relate to that in your careers and in your families. Well, early in Sarah's story, God himself promises that she's going to make her and her husband Abraham the parents of nations. Not just of a few kids, but of nations. So God gives her this promise, and then year after year, month after month, decade after decade, nothing happens. And keep this in mind, too. God had called Abraham and Sarah to leave everything and follow him, and they had. God had given them a promise. They had stepped out. They had followed God, and then it just looked like God had abandoned them. It looked like God wasn't going to keep his promise. Think of how hurtful this must have been for Sarah. You know, we've, we've envisioned this story before with Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, this idea of showing up for family reunions, seeing in a culture that was nomadic and where your family was so intertwined and, and you'd see each other so often. And Sarah starts off, she, she can't have kids, so, so maybe she helps with some of the younger kids And then those younger kids grow up and they start having kids and she still hasn't had kids. And she has this desire and she has even this promise from God, but it it looks like God has abandoned her. God, why would you tell me I'll be the mother of nations and now my little cousins are grandmas and I don't even have one child to show. A hopeless past. Everything about Sarah's circumstances screamed that God didn't know what he was doing, that she should abandon her hope, that she was wrong to place her hope in God. And certainly the voice of the serpent that came to Eve must have come to her and said, Sarah, why are you hoping in the Lord? Look how hopeless this is. You know what I love about Sarah? Her hope was not perfect. It wobbled at times. Do you ever have trouble believing God's promises for you? Do you have a hard time believing that he could actually work through the difficulties of your past to make something good like he promises you in Romans 8, 28? Well, you're in good company with Sarah. 
After decades, probably about 70 years, Sarah laughed when God said that she was going to have a child. And though her hope wavered, she still had hope. Though her faith was weak, she still had faith. You see, it's not the, it's not the quality of our faith or hope that gets us through. It's the goodness of God. And it doesn't take much. Doesn't Jesus say a mustard seed? That's a tiny little seed. You don't need much faith or hope. But, but it's a choice to say, God, I don't have much right now. I'm wavering, but I'm going to keep putting my hope in you. I'm going to keep placing and setting my hope on you rather than on my circumstances. Hebrews 11 verse 11 tells us this by faith. Even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah considered God faithful. See, the hope we're talking about today is not hope for hope's sake. It's not like, well, just hope, because hope is this really positive word, and just kind of, you know, stir up this positive feeling in yourself, and just hope. No, this is hope in God, in his goodness, in his faithfulness. And I love it that Sarah wavered because I waver. I love it that she faltered because I falter. But ultimately, when when the writer of Hebrews looked back over her life in Hebrews 11, he says, you know, the track record of her life is that she did have faith in God. She did have hope in God. I wonder what things have, what things in your past have robbed you of your hope for the future? Are there things in your past that have just, they've come to define you? They're defeats that were so big, they, they knocked you down, they, they knocked the wind out of you. And, and that hope that you used to have, it's just not there anymore because of what has happened in the past. Join with Sarah, the mother of nations, and let God's hope define you. It's a choice only you can make. Are you going to place your hope in your past and how bad it was? Are you going to pick it up and place it in God? See, God is not limited by what has happened. God is not limited by what has happened. God always keeps his promises. If you're a follower of Christ today, he hasn't given to every one of us the promise he gave Sarah that we'd be the parents of many nations. But he has given you some very specific promises. He said that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered into the imagination what he has planned for those who hope in him, for those who trust in him. He promises you that. He promises you in Romans 8 verse 28 that he will work all things together for good to those who are called of him, to those who love him and live according to his purpose. The Lord does not forsake those who trust and hope in him. So maybe you're here today and you've kind of uh, fallen off the horse. Maybe you're a person who in the past, you've gone through all sorts of difficult things and you just kept hanging on to that hope in God. But lately, lately something knocked you down and, and it was so big, you're just so stunned by it that you just have not been able to gather yourself. 
Today you can get back up. Today you can pray for, you can choose a renewed hope. That says, God, thank you, God of Abraham and Isaac, God of Sarah, that you're my God. And that when I waver and when I fall, you don't give up on me. You don't leave me behind. And he's just waiting for you today to say, God, I, I do want to put my hope in you. And, and you know what? You might not feel it at first. That's why Hebrews uh, 1, when it defined faith and hope, it said it's in what's unseen. What we see is one of our five senses. What we feel is another one of them. And sometimes we say, well, I, I want to put my hope back in God, but I don't feel it. Well, that's the best time to put your hope back in God. Your, your feelings are not the locomotive in your life, okay? They are the caboose. You make the right choices at the locomotive, and your feelings will follow eventually. But, but if you live a life where your feelings are the locomotive, as, instead of your faith in God, then, then you're going to have a life that's just really inconsistent, really up and down. God is not limited by what has happened. Hear these words of hope from Lamentations. Lament, chapter 3. My soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves, you know, it's God's love that allowed me to get out of bed this morning. It's God's love that has us at just the right distance from the sun and spinning around like a rotisserie chicken so that we are literally not consumed. He is good to me. And and, and I have to choose, God, I am going to hope in you, even when my soul's downcast, especially when my soul's downcast. Great is thy faithfulness. Great hymn based on those words. Lamentations 3 continues, I say to myself, didn't we see that in Psalm 42 as well? The psalmist talking to themselves. I'm sorry, guys, if you're going to follow Jesus, does require talking to yourself at times. So the world thinks we're crazy enough as it is. So I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Not, not the rays, not the house I lost. Not the people who don't approve of me. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Right? If I can wait for a flight, if I can wait for a doctor's appointment, if I can wait for an oil change, I can wait for the one who's going to deliver my soul out of all trouble. The Lord is good to those who hope in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait patiently For the salvation of the Lord. Bring your hopeless situation to God in faith. And you can be sure, number one, he's going to deliver you. And number two, he is going to sustain you until he does. I can have hope despite the pains of my past. Next, I can plant my hope in God when I have an uncertain future. Do you have an uncertain future today? If so, you're like Hannah, the mother of Samuel. If Sarah was the mother of nations, Hannah was the mother of prayer. She prayed for the future, and Hannah was also the mother of another thing, back-to-school shopping. 
You see, Hannah, she, she made this prayer to God and she said, God, if you give me a child, she was also infertile in this same uh, culture. And, and, and she said, God, if you give me a child, I'll bring him back to the temple and I'll dedicate him to you. And she kept that promise. And, and Samuel would go on to anoint Saul, the first king of Israel, who started off as a really good man. And then when Saul's pride turned his heart away from God, God told Samuel, I need a new king, a man after my own heart. And so Samuel went out and anointed another, uh, this time a young shepherd boy named David. And David would go on to write a a whole bunch of scripture, most of our Psalms and and, and a whole bunch of scripture. And, And David would become the ancestor, the great, 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 great grandpa of a, another king named Jesus of Nazareth, who, who scripture tells us is king of kings and lord of lords. So this Samuel guy is pretty important, who Hannah had, because she was praying when her future looked uncertain. And every year, um, Hannah, we're told in scripture, she'd make a new little cloak, new little outfit for Samuel. Because he was growing and she only got to see him, you know, once or twice a year. And so she'd make these new clothes and she'd bring them back to him. That's why I say she's the mother of back to school shopping or back to school sewing. Here's the point. God hears and answers our prayers for things beyond our control. Do you know that today? Because once again, our adversary, the devil, would love to sow seeds of doubt in your life. And say, well, God didn't answer that prayer the way you wanted or when you wanted, so why bother praying? You should give up. He's not really there. If he is, he's not listening. That's the enemy whispering to you. And you can say, no, like my heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, like Sarah and like Hannah, I'm going to keep praying because I have a hope that's placed in God and I know that he's going to prevail. And as long as I keep trusting in him, I'm going to prevail along with him. And it might not happen when I want, it might not happen the way I want, but he's going to answer my prayers and he is going to deliver me. And until he delivers me, he's going to sustain me. See, Hannah prayed in an age of idolatry and selfishness. When it was not popular or easy to pray. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Age of idolatry and selfishness. We live in an age when people who take God and his word seriously are increasingly ridiculed and mocked and marginalized. Does the evil ever seem overwhelming to you? At a national level, does the darkness ever seem invincible in its advance at your personal level? Well, this was the sort of world that Hannah lived in as well. And there in that world, she prayed. She placed her hope in God through the vehicle of prayer. She prayed believing. She prayed vigorously, so vigorously that Eli the priest came out and saw her praying there at the temple. She was so pouring out her heart to God that he thought she was drunk. He tries to kick her out of the temple because she was just praying with such a passion. And that's part of uh, what you see in the Psalms and in Lamentations. When we really place our hope in God, we bring to him all those feelings in our lives. We tell him where we're hopeless. We tell him where we're distraught. We tell him where we're discouraged. 
And as we bring those two and we say, God, I feel all these things, but I am choosing to place my faith and my hope in you. When year after year, Hannah, like Sarah, was confronted with the reality that she couldn't have children. And and she was mocked and scorned for this, the text tells us. She could have let herself fall into despair, right? She could have let herself fall into a really negative, critical look at life and at others. Discontentment. Instead, when confronted with these realities, she chose to hope in God, to pour out her heart to God and her agony to God, not to other people, incidentally, but to go directly to God. We see this here in 1 Samuel 1, verses 10 and 11. Look at these first words, in bitterness of soul. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much. And prayed to the Lord. We say it often here, but it is not unspiritual to be sad. Don't let anyone fool you with that nonsense. Jesus said in the garden, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Used every Greek word he could for being depressed and sad. And she made a vow. Those are the times in our lives that matter. Don't push those times in your life away. Those are the times in your life to say, God, I will put my hope in you. I don't have all the answers. I don't see how it's going to work out, but I'm just going to trust in you. I'm going to place my trust there. And she vowed saying, Oh Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And one of the really interesting things about Hannah's story is that she kept her promise Right When we find ourselves in a foxhole or lost at sea, we can pray some pretty big claims to God, right? You know, God, if you give me that, I'll use it for you. And then he gives us that. And life gets better. And we don't, we, we don't keep our promise. Hannah did. God gives her a son and she gives him back to God. Are you desperate for hope but unsure how to get it? Pray your pains to God. And as your pains come out, claim his promises. Claim his goodness, despite your feelings. Prayers like Psalm 116, where the psalmist says, The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Some of you are at a crossroads in your life today. Because of the difficulties in your life, you're going to become one of two kinds of people. You're either going to become someone who's consistently negative because you have no hope for the future, And so you're constantly seeing the bad in the situations around you. Working on this with one of my children right now. Because we'll we'll drive around town and um, I'm not sure what parent he gets it from. But he's really opinionated. And and he'll say, oh, I don't like that car. That's ugly. I, I don't like that sign. I mean, he's, he's really aesthetically minded, and, and he really verbalizes what he thinks doesn't look good. 
And uh, which is great. It's all part of his personality. But what I'm trying to work on him with is, uh, hey, buddy, I agree. That is a pretty foul-looking sign. But, you know, let's focus on the cars that you do like and the signs that you do like. You know, let's get this in your uh, life habit pretty early on in life to verbalize the good instead of verbalizing the bad. Have you ever had a roommate or a family member or someone who, man, from sunup to sundown, it is the negative side of everything? Well, that's a person who needs some hope. And when we find ourselves, you know, entangled in the cords of death, when we find ourselves in a difficulty, the choice that we make is going to affect our children and the people around us. It's going to affect our legacy of whether I'm a person who is discontent and griping or a person who's full of hope. You know, this is what I love about Pastor Dan and some of our other brothers and sisters in this congregation. It's like, you know, something could look so terrible. And they're like, well, it's going to be really neat to see what God does with this. Like, oh, man, Lord, I, I want to have that kind of hope. You know, I want to be that kind of person. That no matter what's going on, no matter how long it takes, I just, I, I know my God's going to work it out. I know he's going to deliver me. And I know that until he does, he's going to sustain me. You sometimes, when, when you meet folks in the final, final years of their life, as, as some of the other faculties and filters wear down, you, you really get to see at their core which of these two kinds of people they are. You know, the really negative or, or the one who has hope. And, and, you know, part of this is personality apart from Christ, but any of us can come to Christ and become people of hope. But you know what else is part of it? Is that every day in your life, you are stepping on one of those two paths. And when someone for the last 50 years of their life has chosen the path of hope in Christ, then when they're sick and dying... It's just natural. That's the path they've been on for the last decades. They're hoping in Christ. And when someone day after day, week after week, year after year has been on the path of here's what's wrong, here's all the bad, then that's where they end up at the end. So my challenge for you where you need hope in your life is is think about your legacy. And no matter where you are on those paths, you can put your hope in God today. He will help you. If you're like me and you need his help to do that, you just ask him. Say, God, I want to put my hope in you. Will you help me place my hope in you? I want to be a person of hope. And again, not just for this optimistic feeling, but hope in you that my God's going to prevail. And because he's going to prevail, I'm going to prevail because I'm riding, I'm riding with him. Third time you can plant your hope in God is when you find yourself in a troubling present. When your past is uncertain, when your future is uncertain, when your present is troubling. And this was the case for Mary, the mother of Jesus. We don't often think of the price Mary paid to be Jesus' mother. She was a young, unknown peasant girl, probably a teenager. And from the moment that angel appeared explaining God's plan for her, from that moment on, her life was a difficult life. Sometimes we need hope in the right now, present difficulty. Luke 1 verse 29 tells us, Mary was greatly troubled 
at the angel's words. And it wouldn't be the last time her calling would be a lifetime of great trouble. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid of her. You have found favor with God. So when you're in trouble, doesn't mean God's upset with you. Doesn't mean you've lost his favor. It just means you're walking through a foreign world that is not our home yet. And we can choose like verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. God, I am your servant. I trust you are going to deliver me. You are going to sustain me. G.K. Chesterton said this, Hope means hoping when things are hopeless. Or it is no hope at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is a mere flattery or platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. You know, Mary would see her son as an outcast, hated, rejected, ultimately crucified. She would stand there and watch him on the cross, close enough that Jesus could call out to her and to John and say, John, take care of my mother for me. But in it all, she knew this, God will keep his promises. God will keep his promises. This is what our hope is built on. I'm going to close by taking you guys back to Louis Zamperini after he'd been out there on the ocean and declared dead by the War Department, picked up by the Japanese Navy, and moved from labor camp to labor camp, from torturer to torturer. Had, had lost from, he was at about 155 pounds and he was down to like 85 pounds. So malnourished, so sick. And, and um, this Olympic runner, the guards knew who he was because he was famous. And so, so one of the guards had injured him and had, had torn a tendon in his leg. Here's this guy. Every hope he used to have, you know, when life was bad, he knew he could run. Not anymore. That hope was stripped away. There was no more hope for this guy who had just clung to life. And then one day at the labor camp of Nayatsu on Japan, a glimmer of light flew overhead. It was not a B-24 bomber. It was the more advanced bomber they'd been working on for the last couple years, the B-29. And within a matter of days, hundreds of these bombers were going overhead and all the POWs knew America is here. But before all those bombers came, there was this period of about six days where the Japanese had surrendered to the United States, but the the camp warden and all the guards at the camp, they kept telling the prisoners, no, Japan hasn't surrendered. You're still our slaves. And for about six days, the POWs really didn't know. They'd seen a couple planes, but they hadn't seen the hundreds yet, and they didn't know. Are our, our, our captors telling us the truth? And I thought, man, that is such a picture of Satan. Because scripture says he is the ruler of this world. And he wants you to be his slave. And when you trusted in Christ, Christ freed you from sin. He freed you from hopelessness. But now Satan, who's the ruler of this world, he knows judgment is coming. He knows that his fate is sealed. He knows that Jesus won at the cross. He knows that Christ is returning. And until then, he's going to be as cruel as he can. And he's going to lie to the people of the world and say, you have no hope. And he's going to lie to you as a Christian because he knows you're going to be free. He knows scripture says you're going to judge angels 
And he's one of those angels. But as long as he can keep you under his thumb, he's going to try. And so today, have hope that rescue's coming from above. We want the rescue to come. You know, we want better prison food. We want better prison uniforms. We want things to get a little better here. Hope's going to come from above. There's going to be a glimmer in the clouds. This is what we set our hope on. This is where we place our hope that Christ is returning for us. Romans 8.25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans 12.12, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Romans 15.13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 2 Corinthians 1.10, God has delivered us and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Psalm 33.18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. Where are you in need of hope today? And will you decide today, God, I'm going to place my hope in you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are the hope of nations. Lord, I pray today for each of my brothers and sisters and for me that you would open our eyes, that we would see the hope that is ours in eternity, that we'd see the deliverance that is coming for us, that we would feed on the sustenance, the sustenance that you give to us every day as we await our complete deliverance. Jesus, when you, King of kings and Lord of lords, return to set everything right, Lord, for the moms in this room today and for all of us in this room where our past seems hopeless, where our present is troubling, where our future is so unpredictable, we remove our hope away from those other things we've been hoping in. We've been hoping in jobs and in circumstances and in the provisions of this world and there's nothing evil with those, but we remove our hope from those because they will let us down and we plant our hope in you. We place our hope in you. We fix our eyes on you and we trust in you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.